The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, hit theaters and HBO Max on Friday, June 4th. A new Shock Docs documentary about the case that inspired the movie started streaming on Discovery Plus on June 11th. Unlike the movie, it delves into the true events that led up to Arnie Cheyenne Johnson murdering Alan Bono in 1981 and the history-making court case that followed. The shock docs delves into the whole story, from David Glatzel's possession to the murder. It presents never-before-seen interviews with the family, Ed and Lorraine Warren, Johnson's defense lawyer, and local police. Among those interviewed is writer, historian, and legend tripper extraordinaire, Jeff Bellinger. And in a great twist of fate, I also got to interview him and ask some questions I had after watching the shock docs about The Devil Made Me Do It case. The biggest one being, why was Ed Warren so invested in seeing the devil put on trial? Jeff's answer was enlightening on many levels. Before we get to that, though, here's the trailer for the Shock Docs, The Devil Made Me Do It, courtesy of Discovery Plus. I knew the devil existed. I didn't think it could ever manifest like that. I wanted to protect him, and that's when I challenged the demon. We knew there was going to be a tragedy. On February 16, 1981, a violent murder took place that just rocked this town to the core. This is the first time in 40 years that I've agreed to talk about this. It wasn't Arnie. I know it wasn't Arnie. I believe by threatening these demons, they took charge and did what they did. And this became known as the Devil Made Me Do It case. His defense was going to be demonic possession. There are people that say this guy committed a crime, he needs to be punished. And there are others who say maybe he was possessed. I didn't do it, not me personally, not knowingly. Are we dancing with the devil here? I'm here. Oh, great. Thank you so much again for... I'm really excited to talk to you because I've admired your work since Ghost Village. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was 1999. That was a long yeah. time ago. You're, you're like wow. one of the modern-day pioneers of the whole paranormal movement. So I'm really excited <laughs> to, to talk with you. Thank you. That's um, kind of you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> what about... you? Did you grow up in New England... I did. I uh, actually grew up in Newtown, Connecticut, which is the town next to Monroe where Ed and Lorraine Warren lived. Get out. No, I'm staying. (laughs) You said because that would be a super short interview. (laughs) Yeah, that would be it, right? We just uh, click and that's that, right? Okay, so so that'd be awful. (laughs) But so is Newtown, isn't that where Arnie and Debbie got the house also? That's where the whole thing started, was in Newtown. That's right. Oh, my gosh. And as a kid, do you remember the case at all? 
so I moved there in 1985, and so that was a few years after oh, okay. um, the, the whole incident, which started in July of 1980. Okay, and, yeah. um, but it was one of those things that we kind of you, you knew about it, right? I mean, it was it was around town, and you knew the Warrens. We we all did. She went to my Lorraine went to my church. You know, we'd see her at church. Wow. Okay. So that is really cool. And and did you know, like, did their rep- reputation precede them then? The Warrens. Yes. Yeah, of course. So not only that, you know, I mean, I had a friend who lived down the street from me, and his house was built in like 1760. You know, we were England when the house was built, you know, and and he said his house was haunted, and it was very matter of fact. And around that area, the Warrens were very much like regional celebrities. In fact, you know, there were houses, I remember on Main Street in Newtown, where you'd say, oh, that building's haunted. And you'd say, really? And then to kind of like drop the mic, you'd say, Ed and Lorraine Warren checked out. Oh, like that was all you had to say, right? Everyone just knew them. And uh, and I'd go see their programs in the fall around Halloween. I'd go see them give their talks and show their evidence. And uh, when I became a newspaper reporter, they were one of – that was my first Halloween feature way back in 1997 was interviewing them and going to their house and their museum and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, you just knew – if you were into anything haunted, you knew who the Warrens were. Oh my gosh, that's so cool! And I had I learned a whole bunch out of that answer. I had no idea you had ever been a reporter, but that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's how I got my start was a features writer for for newspapers, and I loved the Halloween feature, and that turned into a website, and turned into books, and turned into everything else that I do. It wasn't a plan per se; it's just this subject just drew me in. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So did you ever get to speak with the Warrens about this case? Uh, Yeah. So I interviewed them in their house a few times, and I saw their programs. And I remember in their programs, especially when you're seeing them do their thing, you know, in the Newtown area, uh, they talked about this case because it was one of the most profound cases they'd ever worked on. Uh, This was Ed. and, And I remember interviewing him about this case because for Ed Warren, this was his chance. He viewed this as his big chance to put his work on trial, to prove what he does, uh, you know, is real in front of a court of law. He was so excited by the prospect of it. Um, sadly, it didn't quite work out that way because the judge wouldn't hear about this evidence. But he believed in his heart of hearts that Arnie Johnson was not responsible for his actions, that he was under demonic possessions, that it started uh, at the Glassell House with the you know young David when when David came under possession, and that not only was David one of the worst demonic cases he'd ever seen, and it had gone through the progression the fastest from just the first influence through you know needing an, an exorcism, that he believed this whole family it just kind of spidered out from there, and so this was his chance to to bring Catholic clergy on the stand and and, and bring in bishops, you name it. He was ready to to bring in all kinds of expert witnesses and say. The devil is real. It can possess you. Uh, this, the work that I do is real, and we have to be careful. Wow. So you answered another question that I was going to ask about that, because it really seemed in the documentary. And then you know, I've been doing some um, research just looking through old articles and stuff about it, but it really seemed like he really did have a passion, but I didn't know why. And that was going to be my, one of my questions. Why was he so keen on putting the devil on trial? So, so here's the other thing. Uh, I, I just saw John Zappas, their nephew, this past weekend. And we were joking. I knew John Zappas when he had hair. I met him at, at Ed Lorraine's. <laughs> and, 
he, he, we were talking about this, and we said, you know, the only thing Ed loved as much as the paranormal was the media. And, and I'm, not, I'm not knocking him down at all. He viewed the media as another tool of his to, to uh, show the work that he does and show that it's real. And so anytime a, from a student film to a, a national reporter wanted to talk to him, he made the time. And, yeah. and I mean, I, I, worked, I interviewed him for, for a number of stories over the years, and he always made the time because he said, look, how else are we going to get this work out there? How else are we going to let people know that they're not alone unless you call in the media, unless you say, look, come with me, reporter. Come, come to this haunted house with me. See for yourself what I'm seeing and experiencing so we can tell others, so people can know. Um, and it worked. I mean, look at, look at where we are today with so many paranormal television shows so many uh, investigative shows, and now ghosts are so out of the closet compared to the 1980s, due in great part to all the effort that Ed Lorraine Warren made back then. Oh, my gosh, you put it, you spun that in a whole new realm for me, so thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. No, it's, it's, I mean, really, I, I... I'm sure I, I owe in part my career to them, just that, that inspiration when, when I was so young and seeing what they were doing and thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, the, the audio clips that they would play. They would play clips from the exorcism, and I think after watching the documentary, they may have played those way back when, um, those programs I saw, because I remember hearing that demonic voice. And it's, it, was, it chills you when you hear that, and you're like, that came out of a kid? You know, that came out of a little boy? Oh, what my gosh. happened that you... led to that, you know, and it was frightening. It was, and you you were, like, segueing perfectly. Like, I don't know if your ESP is at work, but that's another question I had because the lawyer, Martin Manella, had said that he heard um, the tapes that he that they presented, and he it, they made him believe that they were definitely dealing with something supernatural. Um, and... With yeah. all your, with all your, you know, experience over the years, besides these tapes, did, was there any time that you ever had that error that you were like, okay, this is definitely, we're dealing with something here? You know, I, I, I've, I've also worked on ghost adventures since the beginning, you know, since the first episode of that show. And we've worked on some pretty hairy cases over the years. And I'm the person that does the research on the history and things like that, talks to the witnesses before they get there. And, um, and so there's been a few of those that, that were definitely pretty dark and had me concerned. Um, mm. But like personally, I, I, don't, I haven't really personally encountered something where I thought I was facing the devil like they did. Oh, I don't know what God. I would do, to be honest. <laughs> like, I mean, that's not, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't even been to church in years. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't think I'm the guy for that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> You're like, no, please don't. <laughs> yeah, that's a good uh, maybe question that would get because, me back. Yeah, what would you, I mean, golly, what, what, how do you, and this poor family, I mean, the, the Glassels just have to do whatever they could try, because like you said, it's not like now where a lot of people would be like, oh, okay, we'll try to help. It, it was more under the, even the, even the, the policemen that were interviewed were kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But then they were like, but I don't know either. <laughs> so, so Courtney, you got to put yourself into the context of where they were living, living in Brookfield and being Catholic. And, and you see this in the documentary. They reached out to their church first, and the church got involved, said a blessing. Um, but then when it when it got just so much worse, even the church said, well, you know, there's someone around here you can call. 
Ed and Lorraine Warren, Monroe is just two towns away from Brookfield. Newtown's in the middle of them. It's like Brookfield, Newtown, Monroe. And so uh, the priest said, call Ed and Lorraine Warren, get them involved, because the priest knew that being a, a demonologist, Ed Warren could do a lot of the documentation that the church would need to eventually authorize an exorcism. And so that's how, uh, in that area, you just sort of, I mean, if you went to the grocery store and told five people, I think I'm dealing with a really dark haunting, someone of those five would have just known uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren back in 1980. They just would. It, it just, we, we all sort of knew they were around. Uh, and their phone number was listed, by the way. You could just call them, wow. you know, and and um, and they took the call. Wow, that is so wild because you you think back to those days and it's so different than now. <laughs> right? Yeah, there was no internet, there was no nothing, but um, but they were accessible and available, and that's that's what they did. I mean, that's who you called. There weren't you know all these paranormal groups, there weren't all these television shows. There was just a few researchers, and growing up where I grew up, everyone knew the Warrens, if you were dealing with a haunt. That's amazing. And do you know where the house is in Newtown? Has that ever been investigated? I, I, I don't, so I know it's on the Brookfield line, so I, I know, you know, in the ballpark of where it would be, um, but I've, I've never been told that's the actual house. And I know because I currently live not too far from the Conjuring house, the, from the first movie. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, and I've been to that house. And that poor house has been, you know, I mean, since the movie came out, people have just been plaguing that house. Oh, God. So um, I think in the interest of of keeping some poor family safe, you know, we just leave <laughs> them Yeah, that's what, that's what yeah. I, that was going to be my question is whoever lives there, are they like, just like, oh, my gosh, just please leave me alone. Well, by the way, you know, if, if and you see this in the documentary where, you know, it just started at that house in Newtown. It got so much worse at the Glassell's house in Brookfield, the next town over. It, it attached itself to this kid and followed him. So you could go there today. I don't think it's there anymore. I don't think it was there back in 1980, right? I mean, it, le- it, ar- it arguably left from that house and went to the Glassell's and followed the boy and then oh, followed cool. Arnie Johnson. So, I mean, you know, yes, that's where it started, but... You know, I, I think even back then they would have told you it's not there anymore. That's true. That's true. You bring up an excellent point. And and speaking about Arnie, is it? It was kind of his um, infestation, I guess, or possession was a little bit different. Well, a lot different than David's because David's was more gradual and more warning. But people said. I guess in retrospect, they looked and saw some changes with Arnie, but then it just culminated in the one big event of the stabbing. Well, right. So, yeah, it was definitely not typical. But you know, as Ed Warren pointed out, you know, there's there's four stages of possession, right? There's uh, permission, which is the first stage. There's infestation, where it gets worse. Oppression, and then finally diabolical possession. And that boy went through those stages in the span of weeks, which he said, you know, for for most people that could take years, even decades to get through all those stages. And he went through it in in the span of just a few weeks. At one point, Arnie Johnson was trying to help his girlfriend's young brother who was having a a fit. He was being attacked by something he couldn't see. And that's when he said, you know, to the, you know, pick on someone your own size, pick on me. And for the Warrens, that was the moment where that first, um, first stage hit, right? Permission. He was inviting this entity into his own body. And that's where it just, it, it remained quiet. And then it just, according to Arnie, reared itself when, when the murder happened. 
such a bad, I mean, it's just like, uh-oh. And I'm not even, you know, religious, but I'm like, I don't think I would, I don't think I would do that. Um, no, but I, get, but I get it, right? I mean, if someone you care about, you're living with this family, yeah. and this young, innocent boy is being attacked. You, and tormented, you see yeah. any child being attacked, I don't care who you are. You jump in. You jump in and you try to help, and you do anything you possibly can. I completely understand what he did and why he did, and, and I, I couldn't say I wouldn't have done the same thing. Yeah, and I, you bring up a good point. Like, we can watch it and and say, oh, I would never do that. But you're right. If you're in the heat of the moment, you who knows what you'll do? Right. I mean, I, if you messed with my kid, forget it, right? I mean, oh, I yeah. I wouldn't try. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's the, that's the power. And, and fear, too. When you're afraid, you're not really making cerebral decisions. You're just going with your gut instinct, and it's fight or flight. And, and these folks were scared all the time. Yeah, and that would that would weigh on you because it sounds like they weren't getting a lot of sleep and stuff either. So, I mean, right. they had just a lot of problems. And then I really found your – did you know that they were going to end the the documentary with your words? <laughs> no, I did not. Um, you know, I, I was glad to be part of it. I think they did an amazing job, and uh, everybody can see it on Discovery Plus, of course. And um, But, no, I didn't know. I just answered the questions as best I could, and, and I, I think they did a great job piecing it together. Yeah, because I, I really liked – how you said, you know, this it will probably happen again and maybe the devil's going to get his day in court. Are you kind of surprised that it took until 1981 for the devil defense to even be used? Well, you know, the last time it was used was 1692 in Salem, Massachusetts, and it didn't go so well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was uh, it was after that that they said spectral evidence would no longer be allowed in court. And keep in mind that was England, and it spread, you know, not only across this country, this this land, but England as well. And I, I think the judge ultimately made the right call. That was not the forum to have that debate. A man was murdered, and someone had to be punished for it. That's awesome. I lo- I love that because that was one thing when I was watching, and there was a lot of stuff. So you have definitely answered all of that, which is great because I was like, well, I don't understand this, but now you've put it in a different context, so thank you. Hi, Courtney. I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, We just have time for one more question. Okay, Doke, I will just end with, do you have anything else coming up, Jeff, where people can catch you? Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited about this documentary. I've been part of a few of them now. Um, I think four of the shock docs, and they're they're all great, and this one is, is really you know, it's it's scary and really takes you into the case. So very excited about that. And I'm still writing books, still podcasting. My New England Legends podcast is every week and uh, and still out there looking for things that bump in the night. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Take care, Courtney. You've been listening to Haunt Johns, a podcast for restless spirits. My name is Courtney Maroc, and it's been my pleasure to be your host and guide for this audio journey. Did you like what you heard? If so, the best ways to show your appreciation are by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts from, leaving a review if your podcast provider permits it, or by sharing this episode.
If you're curious about the music, almost all of it comes from filmmusic.io, unless otherwise specified in the show notes, which is also where all artists and song titles are listed. And if you'd like to continue exploring with me beyond the podcast, you can always jaunt with me online anytime at hauntjaunts.net or socially on Instagram and YouTube. I sure do appreciate you taking the time to sail the airwaves with me. Until our paths cross again, ciao for now.